Hello, friends. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Tom Nash. He's a financial analyst, investor, and a YouTuber. The stock market has had a wild couple of years. Rounding that off with a full-scale Russian invasion makes understanding the current global financial situation and how to not end up on the receiving end of it even more complex. Thankfully, Tom is a Russian and he's here to help. Expect to learn why Russia's economy has started struggling so quickly, just how big of a deal being taken off SWIFT really is, what it's like to hear Vladimir Putin speak if you can actually understand Russian, Tom's advice on how not to invest your money over the coming months, whether crypto is the answer, what's happening with real estate, and much more. This is not an episode about how to profiteer from a conflict going on in Eastern Europe. It is, however, an episode on how to play defense, as Tom calls it, how to protect the money that you've worked hard to earn from being annihilated by a war that we don't know how long it's going to go on for. I appreciate Tom. His YouTube channel is dope, and you should go and check it out if you enjoy what you hear today. And we do get to talk about some other fun stuff, his relationship with his kids and his feelings about becoming a father, and also our favorite YouTube channels. It's not all doom and gloom, and uh, Tom definitely has a way of making the financial apocalypse sound a lot more fun than it actually is. In other news, this episode is brought to you by bio-optimizers. Unfortunately, a lot of us have been beaten down by anxiety, stress, and poor sleep due to all the uncertainty in the world. And if you're a working parent, you've had the extra difficulty of keeping your kids occupied 24-7 while trying to work from home. It's not an easy task. So if you feel exhausted and burnt out, you're not alone. There are tens of thousands of people in a similar place right now. The question is, what can we do to enhance our mental wellness and recapture our zest for life? A great place to start is to take Magnesium Breakthrough daily. Stress and anxiety deplete your magnesium levels. Low magnesium levels then contribute to more anxiety, which is a vicious cycle. By supplementing with Magnesium Breakthrough, you can break that cycle because you'll be getting seven unique forms of organic, full-spectrum magnesium for stress relief and better sleep all in one bottle. Taking Magnesium Breakthrough will help you to experience more energy, stronger bones, healthy blood pressure, less irritability, a calmer mood, reduced muscle cramping, and even fewer migraines. And because it supports mental wellness, Magnesium Breakthrough can help you to finally feel yourself again. Simply take two capsules before you go to bed and you'll be amazed by the improvements in your mood and energy levels and how much more rested you feel when you wake up. Head to magbreakthrough.com slash modernwisdom and use MW10 at checkout to save 10% and get free shipping internationally. So no matter where you are, you can get this direct to your door, magbreakthrough.com slash modernwisdom and MW10 at checkout for 10% off everything. In other, other news, this episode is brought to you by Packed Coffee. It is award-winning speciality coffee, 100% speciality grade, freshly roasted to perfection for your order and ground just moments before it's shipped. There are over 15 different coffees on the menu at any given time to choose from, including the Great Taste 2020 and 2021 winners. If you are a coffee person, this is absolutely for you. You can create your own coffee subscription from a ton of different fair trade coffees all over the world. It's so good that they even put their name on it. So every bag of coffee includes the name of the farmer that grew it. So you can trace your coffee all the way back to the farm in nine origins around the world. It's personal to you. You select exactly how you want your coffee and when you want it delivered to you. It's not a typical subscription that comes on the first of every month or every Wednesday. You can get coffee whenever you want at whatever frequency you want, and you can pause, cancel, or change your plan anytime 
online. It's contactless delivery with letterbox-friendly packaging. And on top of it all, if you haven't tried Pack Coffee yet, they'll help you get started with a free V60 brewing kit and 40 filters with your first order of a new packed plan. Go to packedcoffee.com. That's P-A-C-T coffee. Dot com. This is for UK customers only at the moment and enter the code MODERNWISDOM at checkout to get your free V60 brewing kit and 40 filters. That's packedcoffee.com slash nothing. Packedcoffee.com and Modern Wisdom at checkout. And in final news, this episode is brought to you by Pure Sport CBD. You might be anxious, stressed or struggling to focus. Pure Sport's ultra high quality CBD can help to relax your mind and soothe your body all of Pure Sports products go through the most rigorous and advanced testing protocols in the world, which involves two separate third-party companies testing each batch to guarantee that their products are the highest quality available on the market. Customers say that Pure Sports products help them deal with aches and pains throughout their body, anxiety, stress, irritable bowel syndrome, depression, inflammation, nausea, and report increased levels of concentration, improved ability to relax and meditate, but perhaps most importantly, improvements to their sleep quality. They have the world's first nootropics-infused CBD oils for more energy during the day, more clarity when you need to work, and if you want to unwind and sleep on a nighttime, they also have that. Also, you can get 20% off everything site-wide by going to bit.ly slash cbdwisdom. That's bit.ly slash cbdwisdom. And the code MW20 at checkout will get you 20% off all full-priced items. That includes their pure CBD, their nootropics, their tinctures, their roll-ons, their freeze sprays, absolutely everything, including their brand new merch. And they ship internationally. bit.ly slash cbdwisdom and MW20 at checkout. But now, please welcome Tom Nash. Tom Nash, welcome to the show. Welcome, Chris. We could not have picked a better time to talk. Uh, I think that pretty much right now is 2022, and yet somehow, don't you feel like this is 1960s and we're dealing with the new crisis again? I mean, this is insane. What a time to be a Russian, man. Yeah, not not a good time to be a Russian, to be honest. Uh, Russia is canceled. I don't know if you heard. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I think Putin miscalculated cancel culture. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. He's too old to understand how it works. Like, we're canceled. Yeah, but cancel culture up against a 200,000-person army with missiles and an air force, surely that's not a big deal. Look, even Hollywood, who sent John Cena to apologize to China, is now not sending movies to Russia, bro. I mean... Look at the countries I said I said it earlier today that voted with Russia on the on the UN General Assembly. Iran, Syria, Eritrea, and Belarus, which for all intents and purposes, Belarus is just part of Russia. So you, I mean, you don't have a lot of friends left, my guy, if you're Putin. Oh, it's tough. There's the you did you do you know the channel No Fuckers? No. <laughs> no. So uh no Fuckers is a, is a Russian channel ran by a guy named Roman, and he spells it with N-F-K-R-Z. That's how the channel name. And um, 
he's a really cool dude. And he just made a video showing exactly what it looks like to get money off of ATM in Moscow. Or sorry, St. Petersburg. So basically showing like a bunch of like 200 people trying to get into the door into the bank and the security guard saying, there's no money here. Get the like post-apocalyptic scenes out of Moscow and St. Petersburg. Basically no money in the ATMs. Nothing works. Credit cards don't work. Pretty much uh, anywhere you have to pay with cash and I mean, you can't get it. Now, the crazy part is now there's new regulation in Russia. Basically, if you own any foreign currency, you have 72 hours or so to exchange it to rubles, like 80% of it. You can't keep it anymore. So if you have because, in your bank account, if you had some dollars or some euros or some GBP, yep. what, so what happens if you don't convert it? I don't, legal sanctions. I mean, you don't want to test it out. If you're a law-abiding citizen, I mean, look, the problem is, what do, what do central banks do? What's the main job of the central bank? To make sure that the state's parts of the currency doesn't go ballistic. It needs to be stable. The way you do it is you regulate it like an oven. And the way you regulate it is with buying and selling, right? If your state's points of currency is going down, you buy some of it. And if it's going too much up, you sell some of it, right? To do that, you need you need dollars, <laughs> my guy. You you need foreign currency to regulate. And if you don't have foreign currency, basically, and there's a panic mode, which is definitely is the case right now. Everybody's selling out. That's why the ruble is now rubble. It's pretty much it's nothing. Because and that's why they're telling you, hey, sell all your foreign currency because the central banks literally needs just to take it from the citizens right now. Oh, just to somehow regulate. They need foreign currency liquidity from yeah. their citizens so that they can use it to control their own. So what's happened to the state of the ruble now? It's it's very close to, it's on the path to 1998. What's that mean? That means the hyperinflation. So there's a few economists who, who commented on this. And I can tell you from friends on the ground, <clears throat> that like prices of electronics have gone like 40% up within five days. It's There's a lot of economists that are saying that if this continues for a few more days, we're looking at anywhere from 50 to 70% inflation within a week, bro. This is not 1984. When you take a country off the grid, this is what happens. It, it basically, money becomes worthless, hyperinflation, and then you sell your, you know, everything you own for your next lunch. This is literally what happened in Russia in the late 90s. Like I, We've seen this happen. Uh, and the, the problem is that while 1998 happened, Russia was not spending $20 billion a day on the war, which is something you also have to take into account. That war is costing a lot of money. Not to mention the fact that this rickety-ass army is stuck in the mud because of a logistical nightmare. But I mean, even that... You know, whatever attempt of I don't understand. I'm not a military strategist. I don't understand this. All I'm saying, I'm I'm a money guy. This war is expensive, and he just got cock blocked from accessing any sort of foreign currency. All right, so and that was give, that was his biggest mistake, by the way. Let's go from the absolute top. People that don't understand what's happened in terms of financial sanctions, what the impacts have been, what they actually mean for Russia. Uh, there's it was story about Swift was going to happen. It wasn't going to happen. Now it's happened. Yeah. Like, let's just take it from the top all the way down. What's happened financially with regards to Russia? 
you have to understand we're starting from the middle of the story, but we can do it. But we have to go back to the origins. But take us from the take us from the start, man. Go from the no, beginning. no, no. But this is an, let's start with the middle, and then go back. So Putin's plan all along was basically to create uh, a feud between NATO itself. So NATO is basically, to be honest, three countries that dominate NATO: U.S., it's Germany, and it's uh, Great Britain or England or UK, whatever you want to call it. I I get confused. I never know what the fuck you guys are called. But anyways, so it's like Switzerland. Which language do they speak? I don't understand. What are their nationality? Like Swiss- I'm so confused by Switzerland, bro. Like, what is this country? Like, what's the language? What? Like, you have you ever met? It's like Swiss people, bro. They're more confused than the Canadians. <laughs> and I love Swiss people, and I love me some Canadians. But check this out. Basically, Putin said, "Hey, listen." The Germans, the Germans, they need me. Now that they've basically shut down nuclear reactors, and I understand why they did it, right? And they don't want to burn coal anymore out of environmental concerns. They need my gas. And I own them because 60% of Germany's energy is coming from Russia. Imagine having that kind of power, especially in the winter. I don't know how, I look, I, you think you know how much it's getting cold? You you don't know cold until you've seen like true German cold, bro. I mean, I know you guys invented the color damp over there in the UK, but I mean, true German cold is like it's it's vicious. Even now, even in February, even in March, it's going to be cold for a while. Now, imagine having that sort of power if you if you're Russia and you're saying and on the flip side of it, you have another dominant NATO member, which is the US, which doesn't give a fuck about Putin's energy. They couldn't give less fucks about it. They I don't need that it. They were, I thought that they were relatively dependent on Putin's energy because they've shut down no. their own energy independence. That's Germany. No, I thought that America was the same as well. America is energy independent, which is exactly where you want to be. America has their own natural gas. They have their own uh, oil. They have everything they need internally. They don't need to buy. They buy shit, but I mean, they're energy independent, which means they don't need anybody else. I thought that they'd scaled back their production, their pipelines, they were increasingly dependent on Russia. Are you saying that that's not true? They don't, they don't, I don't exactly know the numbers of how much they're buying and selling, but once you have potential energy independence, it doesn't really matter. I don't know exactly how much they're buying. To my understanding, US is not dependent. It's nowhere near, if anything, to what's going on in Germany, in Italy, and then generally in the EU. We can look up the numbers later, but I don't think so. For years and years, the European Union have been basically trying to have this debate about, well, everybody's too dependent on, on Russia. So 40% of the European gas consumption is, is Russia, and the worst of them all is Germany with 60%. And they haven't done nothing about it because, I mean, why would you? It's cheap gas, it's convenient, and, you know, it's working. Why, you know... Why talk about something that might happen one day, right? Why prepare? So when Putin, I think, started this, and that's why, if okay, let's divide the world, right? You have the people who are hawkish on Putin, which is the US, and you have the dovish, which is EU and mainly Germany, up until just a few days ago. That's the way it always worked. And every time there's a little bit of a problem, Germany is appeasing and basically saying, okay, okay, chill, 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 and the US is like sanctions, sanctions. So Putin knew that if he's going to start this turmoil in, in Ukraine, whatever happens, he knew he's going to get sanctioned by the U.S. That's why he completely uh, de-dollarized his entire exports. 
he went from $95 dollars to $10 dollars. When was and that? For the past four years, he's been slowly prepping for this. Now, he, he has some yens, but mainly it's euros. Because he never thought that the Germans will basically say, well, uh, I mean, you've gone too far. Because he, they can't. And there is a reason why he did this when he did this. And the reason people saying, oh, it's Trump, it's, Bi-, it's not about Trump or Biden. It's about inflation in the U.S., which is a 40-year high, which means they can't afford high oil prices. And because even though they don't buy really, and we can check the numbers later, Russian oil, they buy shit that are being produced with Russian oil, which means they'll fill the, the price. And besides, you know, oil is a global pricing mechanism, so it doesn't really matter. So he started this knowing that inflation in the U.S. is super high, so they're super sensitive to oil prices, and also in the winter. So he knows that the Europeans are, don't want any interruptions right now. And he thought, I think that his thought process was, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push in Ukraine. They're not going to interrupt with me because Ukraine is not NATO and they, they will not risk a nuclear war with me for Ukraine. And the Germans are basically going to get into a fight with the U.S. And then I'm going to destabilize NATO and I'm going to create a, a fight between them and I'll take Ukraine. And I'll be ready for U.S. sanctions because I'm completely in euros. Yeah, so the presumption was that Germany wasn't going to push back because of their energy dependence on Russia and that America Precisely. America would want to push back because it's relatively energy independent. This would create conflict between Germany specifically as one of them and America. America wants more sanctions. Germany wants fewer sanctions. There's your friction. Meanwhile, you can move forward. Is that what you're saying the plan was financially? Precisely. And if you look at the first few days of the of the military operation, this is exactly how it played out. You remember how Germany refused to allow anybody to send German-made arms to Ukraine in the beginning and how they just agreed to send some helmets over there? Now, Germany has a long-standing embargo. On, on, they don't send traditionally weapons to conflict, uh, conflict regions because of their history, obviously. But, uh, you know, I mean, there are a lot of explaining to do. But I mean... <laughs> Uh, all I'm saying is, so Germany was basically pushing back in the beginning, and they were actually more closer to the German position because when it started, the narrative was, well, if it stops with these pieces of Ukraine, which already de facto owns, let's be honest, since 2014, if he stops with Lugansk and Donetsk, we'll just let him have it. That was the sentiment, and that was being led by Germany. Like, you know what? Fuck it. He already owns it anyways. He just makes it official. We don't care. And I think that his biggest miscalculation, and I think, tell me if you think that's right, Chris. When you surround yourselves with yes-men and you completely kill anybody with an opposing opinion, you create this echo chamber where I think nobody told him, hey, the Germans might push back. I don't think anybody in his team actually told him that. And I don't know if you've seen this, but there's a very famous viral clip that's circulating where he was interrogating his own head of intelligence about whether they should or should not invade Ukraine. And the guy's like, uh, and you're talking about the head, the main, the, the head spy of Russia. So it's a bad man. It's not a, this is a killer, bro. Okay. And he was basically up there and saying, well, Mr. Putin, uh, I think we should maybe try and negotiate a little bit more. It's like, and then he gave him the desk there. It's like, are you saying that we should negotiate more? I said, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't like basically you could. Why see was this fear. televised? Oh, he televised the whole thing. There was like this kangaroo horde. So he put all of them, like, uh, 
he was at the head of the table, like 30 meters away, they all got a chair, and he went one by one asking his head advisors if they should invade Ukraine or not. So that, is that basically a test of compliance? It's, will you say yes to me when I want to do... Like Everybody no. knows what he wants to do. Is he actually no. looking for pushback? It's a theater. He's not looking for pushback. It's a theater. Right, it's okay, yeah, theater so that's, that's, that's what I mean. Can you try just one thing that I've thought there? Obviously, you speak Russian. Um, and for everybody else, what we're doing is we're looking at the subtitles or the dubbing over the top. How would you characterize Putin's demeanor with the way that he speaks? You know, we have people like a Barack Obama, who's quite a powerful orator, sort of a peaceful, calm. How would you characterize the way that Putin is? It's a very good question. I've never been asked that, you know. It's very different uh, from other world leaders. He's very articulate in Russian. Even though he's kind of a simple guy, he's not like hyper-educated and he doesn't use sophisticated words. Um, but there's a certain conviction in the way he says things, which uh, the way Russians uh, have been basically, mm, we've been conditioned to look for the strong man. Russia, if you take out the 10 years of 1990 to 2000, we always had a guy. Okay, that's our guy. They always... They don't need Barack Obama. Barack Obama would not last in Russia. Probably. Uh, Donald Trump probably would. But you see where I'm going with this? So he's much closer to Donald Trump than Barack Obama. He's basically, he'll say what, he's, what he thinks and he'll be very aggressive and he's not going to play politically correct. Like in his speech about the war, he was basically saying, hey, Ukraine doesn't have a right to exist. It's run by a bunch of drug addicts and neo-Nazis. And we're going to take it back because Ukraine is not even a real country. It's just a bunch of idiots who are puppet government, blah, blah, blah. It's like no world leader talks like that. And can you imagine anybody? And that's, it's really tailor suited for the Russian audience. He's a hero Mainly, that they're going to be seduced by. Yes. And also don't forget, he controls all the media internally. Like Russian people are not that exposed, at least like, the older generation, they don't expose to Reddit and shit. So, so that's the news they're getting. Um, All right. So take me back. We've got that's the, the situation, at least when the in, initial invasion occurred. Run through some of the financial sanctions that have happened and what the impact has been on Russia from there. Well, mainly the main thing they did is, look, they, they took in individual banks off of SWIFT, which is pretty much a death sentence uh, to banks. SWIFT is uh, basically a system where banks, a, a unila, uni, unified, uh, um, standardized system where banks can talk to each other to transfer money internationally. It, there's a, I don't remember the full words. The it's an it's it's a it's it's a Belgian system. It's been adopted worldwide. If you take banks off of that system, it's pretty much you're screwed. Now they did that, and. What mostly what was interesting is they also went for the Russian national bank, not just individual. They went for the biggest banks in Russia, not all of them, but also they went for the central bank. When you say went, went for, what do you mean? They, they basically took it off uh, partially from SWIFT. Now, here's the thing. Uh, when they sanctioned the central bank and they're saying nobody can touch that, nobody can work with this bank. I mean, technically, they can still transfer money, technically, but nobody in the right mind would do it because when you have the US and the EU and the rest of the world, there's literally everybody's basically saying we're not, we're not dealing with you. It's basically uh, they're taking away his war chest. 
that bank was the war chest that he built for this. So he created, his central bank is sitting on $650 billion of cash. In dollars? In foreign currency, various foreign currencies. Uh, some of it, $130 billion is in gold, which is, I mean, his to keep. I mean, that 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 money we, we can't touch. But everything else is foreign currency. It's dollars and euros and whatever. It's, uh, it's a mixture. And them taking away uh, about uh, 500 out of the 640 billion and basically saying, hey, you can't touch this, it's really limiting um, to what he can do. Because obviously... It's gonna it's gonna be a death sentence to the economy. For, for an sure. idiot for an idiot like me who doesn't understand how the financial markets work, when you say you can't touch this, that's that's I'm gonna guess that's technically not right. He he could touch it. The point is that it's only useful if he's then able to trade it with a country that's prepared to buy it. And by being taken off of SWIFT, the the uh, function that he was yep. able to exchange that. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it's not like the money's gone. But the only function that the money has is when it's in trade with another country, and because he can't do that because of SWIFT, that's now being killed. It's de facto. It, the technicals are not that important. De facto is the money is not usable, yes. which is the yes, important yes. part. And when the money is not usable, it's basically there's a war machine that needs to be fed, and he doesn't have the finance to feed it. And the problem is when you have that, look, it's an expensive war. Ukraine isn't, uh, you remember when he invaded to Georgia? Not the state in the U.S. He invaded the country called Georgia. Uh, it's 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 it was a couple hundred hundred thousand people. It's Ukraine is one third of the size of Russia, and Russia is ginormous. Ukraine is a massive country, like 30, 40 million people. It's insanely uh, it's insanely huge. I don't even know how to explain to you this. And the thing about Ukraine is. Which is the second part where I think he 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 misunderstood what's going on, is that like with Germany, that basically came out and said, you know what, this has gone too far. We're basically we dare you not to send the the gas to us because when Germany came out and said this, they're still they're still on the gas. Uh, to my knowledge, there's not been any interruptions in the provision of gas because Germany is basically telling him, hey, we call your bluff. Like you need this as much as we need the gas. Because Russia, they need the money from Germany. They need the money when there's no war. 40% of Russian budget is digging shit from the ground and selling it to other people, bro. It's it's a rickety-ass economy with no modern fucking basis. It's just the most unsophisticated economy in the world, bro. So when, like, almost half of your economy is selling energy. So I dare you. They basically told him, we dare you not to send send the gas to us. We, we, we dare. And he didn't. It's still going on. So they call this bluff. More importantly, what he didn't actually take into account is Germany saying, you know what? We're done being, uh, we're done being like kumbaya around the campfire. We're going to arm ourselves to the teeth. And because this diplomacy, diplomacy thing isn't working with you. You're crazy. So, and again, a certain amount of circumstances happened that he, I don't think he understood. When Angela Merkel stepped down, nobody really knew who Olaf Scholz is and what kind of guy he is. Apparently, he's the kind of guy that don't take no shit from nobody, bro. Because he just came out on Friday uh, and said, hey, yeah, we're going to spend 100 billion euros this year on upgrading our military. And from now on going forward, 2% of our GDP, which is insane, bro, is going to go to military. Because 
without the stick, this diplomacy thing is meaningless. We just saw what you did in, in Ukraine. So he basically created a unification of NATO. They're all on board right now. He's isolated. And Germany is basically becoming a fucking military superpower, which is exactly what he didn't want. So it's a gross miscalculation. Now, the main problem here is, and that that boggles my mind how he didn't think about it. When Ukraine, bro, some of the toughest people I know are Ukrainians, bro. Like these are people, I have Ukrainian friends who can live a whole week on a potato and a fucking egg, bro. Like you don't, you haven't seen toughness until you've seen some Ukrainian. Like I'm not even exaggerating, bro. These are tough people. They live off the land. You know what they did to the Nazis, bro? Like they would, they will hide in the woods for 20 years and fucking come and stab you in the ass every day. If you're talking about horrible guerrilla warfare, bro, and like partisans, like Ukraine is never going to fucking be quiet, bro. This is like what, Ukraine- so I, I said that I'd had that Jake Hanrahan uh, conflict yeah. reporter on recently, and he was telling me that one of the problems that you have if Russia does end up taking, let's say it takes Kiev, right? That then once you've managed to stop moving forward, it goes house to house. It goes guerrilla warfare. It's You don't know if the person that's walking down the street with the overcoat on is going to buy a bottle of milk or if he's got an AK-47 under there and a Molotov. And most likely he has an AK-47 because they fucking gave those out like candy, bro. Can you imagine a country that <laughs> that's giving out AK-47s? You know, come over to the townhouse, grab your AK-47 and a couple of magazines. <laughs> yeah. Fighting and that's crazy, side, by, side by side with Vasily Lomachenko and Alexander Usyk. Bro, what about what about the the, the brothers, the, the Klitschko brothers, bro? What are they doing? I mean, they're literally on the fucking barricades, bro, with the other guys. Did I see, I saw, I saw a, a post on Instagram earlier on today saying that they'd shot some people. They were like, oh yeah, we killed 10 people today. I don't know. There's probably a lot more violence going on that we know of. And probably there's innocent people getting shot because when you arm citizens with AK-47s, there's a lot of people who are going to unnecessarily get hurt. Can you try and... So I I had this conversation about Ukraine. Obviously, you've got friends, I'm going to guess, that are still in Russia, maybe even some extended family that are in Russia. What's the atmosphere like in there? What's the sense? Well, there was a Russian CNBC was on today and uh, they had this lady talking to a guy who's like a professional uh, bond trader and shit. And he was basically saying, you know what? I think I'm going to have to look for a new job as a fucking Santa Claus because this is gone. He's like, well, that's once a year. So it's all figured out. Then he pops out a bottle of, uh, of booze and he just drinks it on air. It's like, this is over. <laughs> it's now it's comedic and it's kind of funny, but I mean, it's really sad if you think about it because the vast majority of people who are going to get hurt by this are basically being held hostage, if you think about it. It's just regular people who want to go to work, come home, eat lunch, fuck their wife, go to bed, you know, wake up the next morning, do the same shit every day. They don't, I mean, I don't know a lot of Russian people who want Russia to be at war with Ukraine. It's it's literally as crazy as, as U.S. going to war with Canada. It's unthinkable to me. Is the split there majoritively age, do you think? Are you going to have people that are a little bit older that are probably going to be more in support? No, it's crazy. Like most, uh, okay, so it's crazy. So older people, they tell you, oh, we don't want the war in Ukraine, but we support Putin. The older people, they like, they're in love with him. Uh, And the younger people are like, they're basically like, what the fuck is this? The hell is going on? I mean, look, there's definitely 
there's this uh, theme that I've seen a lot of uh, pseudo experts talk about it. And they say, well, what if uh, Canada uh, signed a treaty with China for a strategic alliance and they put nukes on their border with the US? Would US not go to war with Canada? I mean, theoretically, maybe. We don't know. But the fact is that we have a country that's been talking about joining NATO. There's, it's not even in the cards yet. They don't have any nukes because they gave their nukes up in 1994, by the way, for assurances by the West that they'll protect them if Russia ever invades. We saw how that played out. So a country with no nukes, they're not a part of the... Okay, they want to join NATO. Okay, I get it. But I totally, I totally understand why people are pissed off at this. It's like this is completely uncalled for. It's, it's just senseless violence. And I think, personally, that there's a lot of religious elements to this. I think that he's 70 years old, or almost 70. And I think he has this fantasy of of recreating whatever it was when he was the head of the KGB or whatever he was. Well, you, so said, he was a pro- you said on your video that to be a Tsar, you can't just have one country. You need to have a kingdom. And right now, yeah. he doesn't have a kingdom. I would say, based on the videos that I've seen, it appears to be one insult after another by NATO pushing forward, doing things that they said that they weren't going to do, compromising on promises that they previously made. And then this is Putin. Maybe the timing is right with regards to the season, with regards to where the currency is at in America, such and so. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But I don't know. Given what I know about the internals of his political movement it kind of doesn't surprise me there was going to come a point where this was going to happen but let me ask you a question chris nato if you look at the map from 1997 to right now nato has definitely expanded and they took a lot of his former um, allies with them but the question i want to ask of you is one simple question okay nato is expanding beyond what was the original understandings when the Berlin Wall fell. So they basically, Russia got basically pushed aside and the West said, hey, you don't matter anymore. Fine, that happened. And I understand the insult. Definitely understand the insult by somebody who grew up in that system, went through the humiliation, became, I think, a taxi driver after that and had to climb all the way back. Like, he used to be a taxi driver after the collapse of the of the USSR. So, so he experienced the brunt of it. Like he was stationed in East Berlin, like a KGB, blah, 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 going up in the ranks and then I understand that. But assuming all of it is 100% true, does this give you the right to say, well, NATO is overexpanding, so I'm going to take this sovereign country who does not do anything offensive against me. I'm going to take this sovereign country and I'm just going to grab it. I'm going to bombard fucking the living hell out of it. I'm just going to take it because NATO is overexpanding. I mean, I don't see the justification here. No, me neither. But I think it's too simplistic, the people that are accusing Putin of just being an idiot or a madman or a psychopath. The guy may be aggressive in nature and he may be prepared to do things where the tolerances don't make sense for other countries. But, you know, step by step by step, again, I don't think that it's the right thing to do, obviously, because I'm not a psychopath. But... (laughs) I like that. <laughs> like, it's, it, it, there is a logical progression that we've gone through here, right? To get Russia as a country to the stage 
where this has happened. It's not as if it's something that's just happened overnight. Again, the response isn't the way that it it should have gone. But it does seem to me like the people that are it, it's too simplistic and too basic of a of an explanation to say, oh, it's just. No, no, the, I don't. I don't think he's just doing it because it is just a he's just a James land Bond grabbing villain. maniac. Yeah, yeah, he's not a James Bond villain. This is not a movie. This is not like oh, there's definitely. <laughs> there's definitely um, calculation thing. yeah but also there's a very famous uh, researcher that uh, uh, passed away in the in 1989 barbara tuckman she used to write a lot about uh, political science and uh, geopolitics and uh, global politics and she the one of the main lines that you can see throughout her her work is basically she showed how some of the most influential critical decisions that were made on the global politics ring was driven by emotional impulsive responses by people who were at a position of power and she gives a lot of examples the most amusing one <laughs> to me was her going back to the french revolution and basically well how did louis didn't understand what was going on and basically she said well he was he was busy with trying to figure out if Marie Antoinette was fucking around with his brother or not for the past two years before the revolution. So he was fucking psychopath, a neurotic, jealous husband. So he completely uh, missed the, you know, the doom, the doomsday scenario. But there's definitely a mixture, I think, of everything here. There's definitely a strategic thinking behind, well, he wants to clap back at NATO, uh, for sure. There's definitely, I think, him saying, I'm going to bring back the USSR, or at least some sort of a quasi uh, strong uh, kind of uh, Russia 2.0. And he's been very systematic with getting it done, by the way. For all intents and purposes, Belarus is no longer even Belarus. It's just a name. So he already has the guy in place to replace, uh, uh, to replace uh, Zelensky. So, however, at the end of the day, and here's where I think uh, the problem lies. Strategic, yes. Emotional, somewhat, for sure. But if you and I would have thought before that, given the balance of power with the, with the European energy consumption, would Germany actually go all look full-on ham on him, like they did, and fucking militarize and sanction... like? I don't think anybody could have seen Germany pull that stunt on him. I think he was as surprised as most uh, analysts. What's happened in the US stock market then? How's that responded? To be honest, somewhat okay. So oil price, I don't know if you follow the crude oil, but you don't give a shit. <laughs> it's, um, so um, we just came off of, a, I think, a, usually like the price is in the 80s. $80 per barrel, it's tolerable. Uh, $100 per barrel is considered like, uh, oh, this is like a wartime pricing, right? We're currently at like 111, 112. So this happened real fast. So oil prices, crude oil is going through the roof. Commodities is going through the roof, obviously. You know, Russia is, you know, wheat, palladium, aluminum, you name it. They dig, they dig shit from the ground over there. That's the whole, that's the whole business model, right? Uh also, what's happening in the U.S. is very interesting. Military contractors are, are flying high. 
uh, Raytheons, the General Dynamics, all of these are going flying high. Cybersecurity is flying high. Fortinet, CrowdStrike, and even Palantir had a little bit of a of an upswing, even though they're kind of giving it back. But uh, I think in general the U.S. stock market has been fine. It had a little bit of a of a kind of a invasion day slump, and then it's basically you know business as usual. It's going up. Jerome Powell was on TV yesterday saying, hey, we're only raising interest just a little bit, just a tiny bit, just to feel how it feels like. And they basically, everybody said, well, good. We're, we're, so I would say largely un, unaffected. But the thing is, look, as big as Russia is, the exposure of the S&P 500 to the Russian economy, honestly, is like 0.1%. It doesn't do anything, bro. Russia is just, a, they dig shit from the ground. They sell like energy and, 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 and resources. There's not a technological hub. There's not a lot of Russian companies on, on NASDAQ or in the New York Stock Exchange. There's just not a lot of exposure. In banking, there is. Like there's a few banks who have high exposure to Europe and Russia. But that's pretty much it. What are you doing then? So a lot of messages that I've had from friends over the last week or so has been around shit man what's going to happen with the stock market i've got investments i've got crypto i've got properties i've got cash i've got gold not trying to uh capitalize from a, a wartime problem a war, yeah. but the the other way to look at this is you play defense people well yeah precisely that people who haven't done anything wrong you know just some guy in the middle of america who's been saving up and buying things and trying to invest appropriately could if the situation was responded to more differently with the U.S. stock market could end up being wiped out by something that's happening on the other side of the planet. So what's your personal strategy or what would you say to people around, here are some things that I would probably avoid over the next however long, here are some places that I would keep an eye on, etc. Okay, so there's two questions here and they have completely different answers. So the more interesting question is crypto, which you ask, which is very smart. Because whatever just happened right now is a second proof of the importance of cryptocurrency just after what happened in Canada. So I'm not a big crypto guy, but I understand the importance of having decentralized currency. When just, you know, just a little while ago, everybody was talking about Canada and uh, the Canadian regulation basically allowing the government to dip into people's banks accounts and take money if they thought they were related to the protest, right? It's, it's crazy. So proof number one, then we have a couple of weeks go by. Now we have proof number two right now. And again, we're talking, assuming we're talking about law abiding, tax paying, normal fucking engineers who don't give a shit about Russia or Ukraine, but they're stuck in fucking Russia and they need a way to feed their family, right? What do you have other than crypto bro, to do that right now? The ruble is basically deflating faster than, the, you know, a drunk man at a Thailand whorehouse. Basically, so it's worthless or it's about to be. So if you ever needed a proof of concept of how crypto plays a role in modern economy, in this chaotic world, you have it, you have it right now. And the main part is where people were attacking crypto for the past few years, basically, well, it's not transactional. It's not, it's not What's transactional. that mean? I mean, you can't go to a grocery store and pay with Bitcoin. It's, it's really complicated. The fees are expensive. It takes time. It's complicated. It's not built for transactions. Well, some do. Like, uh, there's a certain, not Bitcoin. There's more kind of, uh, I'm not going to uh, promote any here, but there's more transactional uh, cryptocurrencies. 
But we're talking about Bitcoin, which is kind of the gold standard because Bitcoin doesn't need me to advertise Bitcoin. Come on. <laughs> but all I'm saying is like proof of concept of why it's important. You just saw it. Like Russian government literally telling their people, hey, motherfuckers, 80% of your cash converted to rubles right now or foreign currency, right? If you have Bitcoin, I mean, that's the perfect example of they can touch you. And that's kind of the proof of why you want to hold it in a wallet and not in a proxy, you know, through a through a brokerage. Because I've been de- having this debate with people. And it's like, when is the government ever going to force? Well, you go in Canada, here you go in Russia. So, okay, so that part is true. So cryptocurrency just got a big boost. And that's why I think it's running up. Because people are seeing, okay, this makes sense. As far as how to play defense in the market, again, I I don't have any understanding in day trading or swing trading. It's not my expertise. I don't understand nothing in it. I'm a long-term investor. Most of the companies I invested in, my portfolio is very narrow. Palantir, Tesla, Google, S&P 500. That's the only stock I have in my portfolio. As a long-term investor, all I suggest you do is just fucking chill the fuck down. Just go watch some porn, take a walk outside, take a hike, drink some coffee, just relax. bro. Because the only thing you need to do, Chris, is just pull out the, not what you think, pull out the S&P 500 and expand it to a 10-year period or a five-year or whatever. You will see that no matter how much shit has been going on in the world, and believe me, for the past 10 years, there's been a lot of shit going on in the world. People forget we had the 2008 crash in the U.S., we, we had so much gnarly stuff going on in the world. The S&P 500, which is the U.S. stock market, the U.S. economy, always going up long term. If you're a long term investor, you literally don't give a shit about short term volatility. So I, I playing around with your portfolio too much. First of all, you're creating tax disadvantages, at least in the U.S. Now, you're in the U.S. So you should know this. You're creating short term capital gains. If you trade uh, if you trade in and out of a stock under a year, you just you just almost doubled your tax liability and completely killed your alpha. So that's there's that. Now, beyond the fact, beyond the tax issues, uh, of course, unless you have it in the IRA or 401, never mind. But beyond the tax issues, it's been statistically proven that there's a correlation between how much more you're active and how much more losses you get. No like, way. No, no, no. There's literally a stat. I have to find it somewhere. So the S&P 500 went up for the past 10 years like crazy, right? You can pull up the chart. 85% of people who wars in the S&P 500 lost money. Only about 15% make money. Most people lose money in the stock market long term, even though it always goes up. Because most people are impatient. Warren Buffett literally said this. He said the stock market is a wealth transfer mechanism from the impatient to the patient. So the worst thing you can do is fiddle around with your portfolio and try to time the market. Just, again, if you're a swing trader, if you're a professional day trader, I don't, that's a whole different enchilada. I don't understand nothing. As a long-term, if your friends are long-term investors, just, you know, unless you pick garbage stock, which which is a, it's a, it's a the whole different discussion that you might have to, you know, fix your portfolio. But if you have solid conviction and you think you, you went for winners, what does the war in Ukraine change? Really, bro? Okay, energy is going to be more expensive for a while, probably Inflation is only going to make it worse. Sure. But it's across the field. Everybody's, it's like playing soccer when it's raining or snowing. Everybody's in the same fucking pitch. It doesn't really matter. Have you got any insight around people that are holding cash or real estate? Well, I'm not a real estate guy, but the one asset that's been 
overperforming the market, and I'll, I'll tell you why it's kind of an easy answer, is real estate. Real estate, again, real estate has been basically the best safe harbor. Like when you have inflation, what's the one thing you want to do? You want to hold assets, not cash, right? So cash, real estate, they're kind of, they're the opposite sides of the same story, right? In low inflation, you want more cash. In high inflation, you want more assets because if you have a home, it's worth whatever it is it's worth. So you don't need to be worried about inflation. The problem is with real estate that what happened over the past two years is again, you, you're on the ground, so you've seen this happen. The prices of real estate, because everybody understands the simple concept, right? The prices have lost all, like, bro, Justin and I was talking, he just sold his house. Like, the, it's just, it gotten so bad, it literally killed Open Door and Zillow, bro. <laughs> because that? people like, it's the apps where you sell your house online with the open door with Chamath, SPAC, like Zillow. Like people are like, we don't need no help selling our house, bro. <laughs> There's no need. Well, look, it's like we can double our money right now. So everybody's rushing towards real estate. So the, it becomes very dangerous. Like you just need to be careful. Again, you're probably a more of a real estate guy than me. But conceptually, I would just be, you know, not trying to park my money unless I can get a good deal. And getting a good deal in real estate right now in the US is very tough. It's the same in the UK. UK market's on fire at the moment. There was yeah. one of my buddies just sent me a stat around right move, which is our equivalent of, you might even have it, it might work out here in America. And it had its busiest day ever, ever. The most number of new properties and the, the highest volume of traffic not long ago. Yeah. Why? And it's not like inflation is going away, Chris. I mean, we're at seven and a half right now. If energy prices keeps going up, inflation is not going to come down. It's simple. Because what do you need to make everything? Energy. Energy. Energy is more expensive. Uh, there you go. Simple. Not to mention the fact that you've pumped in five and a half trillion dollars into the system. That somehow, it's like eating five trays of pizza, bro. You have to shit it out before you can go for a run. I mean, it's that simple, bro. What do you think is going to happen in the medium to long term then? Oh, that's a that's a great question. If assuming that, look, the U.S. has I can only talk about the U.S. The U.S. has an inflation problem that is kind of the perfect storm. Whenever you have a really bad situation, it's a combination of of uh, you know I I always give the example of the nuclear disaster in Chernobyl. In Chernobyl, like it was such an improbable event, so much had to go wrong in the same sequence for the shit to happen. But when it does, it's catastrophic, okay? So the U.S. inflation problem is literally a combination of things that are, what are the odds? Well, there you go. Those are the odds. This, this just happened. Like Murphy's Law, bro. So the U.S. problem is, number one, obviously they printed a lot of money. Every kid knows that. That's the easy part. So there's supply chain shortages. Okay, people were more at home, and now you have... Uh, you have issues with basically the trucking industry, the, the logistics. Like, it's not easy right now getting people out of uh, out of their homes. It started with COVID, but now people are basically saying, "Well, I can just fucking do affiliate marketing from home and make more money, right? Why would I go drive a truck, not be around my family for three weeks, right?" So, you have to pay more to attract drivers or uh, people who work in the logistical industry. So you pay more. Obviously, it's inflation. So, um, and you have zero rate interest, which means. Everybody's spending. If you have zero interest, why would you hold your money in the bank? There's no point in saving money. Zero percent interest. So everybody's spending. So a lot of money in the system, crazy spending, 
logistical hardships. And on top of it, the U.S. now has to face what they've neglected for the past 30 years. There's a major problem on the West Coast where all the goods from China, or not all, a lot of a lot of the goods from China are coming in from two ports, which is Long Beach and LA. And those two ports, when it was when it wasn't as crazy as now, it kind of held its own somewhat. It was, you know, it, like uh, it, it it was up there. It was a little bit tough, but they 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 held their own. But now, when basically we have the situation where they don't have the employees, where they don't, they literally, bro, they've literally not been sending crates. And, uh, and containers back to China because they don't have the manpower or the time to load it back on the ships going back, which has created an insane cost to, to, to containers, which is exaggerating the problem. So the U.S. has to fix the fucking infrastructure as far as the port system goes, as far as the trucking industry. There's, like, look, think of it this way. On top of this, this all the situation I just described to you, if you could just raise interest rates, you would have probably alleviated a lot of the problem. If the government would say, hey, listen, like they did this in the 80s. There was a Fed chair. His name was Paul Volcker. And he did this in the 80s. He said, look, 15% interest right now. That's a that's a major, it's like pulling the handbrake when you're going in the freeway, bro. So you might crash. Well, you're probably going to crash, but you're going to stop for sure. The problem is it, when Paul Volcker did this, we didn't have a U.S. debt the size of our GDP. We literally have a 100% size of U.S. national debt compared to GDP. So we are servicing a lot of debt. So every percentage point we raise on the interest to slow down the market is going to cost $270 billion, give or take a few a few dollars. So right, why is the Fed now saying, oh, okay, just 0.25%? Because they literally can't afford to do more. And when they say can't afford, it's they can always print more money. But what happens if you print more money to service the debt? You're basically just creating more cash in the system, basically making inflation worse. So there's they have to figure out, and there's long theories on how you can get this done. There's, you can uh, create, you can roll over a lot of, it's getting boring, so I'll do it quick. The US, it's like, you know when you take a mortgage and you go to the bank, right? And they tell you, okay, what kind of mix you want? And you say, well, I don't want to put everything on just fixed. It's going to be expensive, right? Give me like half and half, right? I'll take half fixed and half variable because the variable is fucking cheap. So this is what the U.S. government has been doing. And that that was okay. But now half or I think more than half of their U.S. national debt is basically dependent on interest rates. So they're super sensitive to interest rates. So they can pretty much say, hey, we're just going over to, we're rolling over a big chunk of our national debt to 30 year, which is fixed. And then we're going to pay a little penalty, like uh, three, four hundred million billion, sorry, three, three, four hundred billion, because that's the difference. I think it's like one and a half percent difference or two percent. So we're going to take the penalty. We'll pay the four hundred billion, whatever it is. But we're going to stop any concerns of interest rates. Then we don't give a fuck, and we can raise interest rates and fix this. This would be one solution. It has its problems. The other solution would be to outgrow GDP out of the debt, which basically means reducing taxes, deregulating everything, let the economy go boom. But there's political issues with doing that. I mean, a democratic government, lowering taxes doesn't really work. So they're stuck in this limbo. So the Fed and the government need to figure out a way to work together. Until the government provides a viability for the Fed to raise interest rates, the Fed is going to basically be stuck saying, well, we've decided not to raise interest rates. <laughs> because they can't. 
they literally are are jammed until the government does something about the debt. So that's kind of my little quick primer about what's going on with inflation. It seems fucked. Yes. Uh, in you know what alternative explanation? We're fucked. This seems <laughs> fucked, dude. They'll figure it out. I dude. Look, we pay them. To figure it out, we pay them to sleep at night and not worry about these things. Let them worry about the aliens and the and the, and the national debt and all this stuff. We don't want to know, bro. What are you worried about then? If you're not worried about the inflation and stuff like that, I'm worried about being a good dad, man. That's the only thing I'm concerned about. Do you I struggle with that? Out, yes. What do you struggle with? I have high standards of myself. I'll give you an example. So my my dad, he was a cool dude. But he was a little bit of an absentee dad. Not in that bad sense. He was just working a lot. You know what I mean? He was a good dude. Always, like, no issues. I love him. And I, I love him. He's still alive. I mean, we have a good relationship. You can always give him a call. But, I mean, uh, we didn't do jack shit together ever. Because he was always working. That's why initially I quit my job. Basically, I said, I'm not going to be that guy. So, I my my midlife crisis when I hit 40 was basically quitting my job. And basically being, a, like, more of a dad. Now it's gotten to a point where I'm so fucking critical of myself. So my wife was away for two days and I was along with the three kids on my own and I had to organize them in the morning to go to school. And the first day it was a complete, it was like Putin invading Ukraine, bro. It was screaming at them. They're fucking crying. It's like getting to school late. They're all fucking like I, the whole day I'm sitting in the corner fucking shaking. How the fuck did I just... (laughs) Fucking ruin this fucking morning. Like and like they forgot about it in twenty minutes, but I'm yes. like, my whole day is fucking gone to shit, bro. Mm. I was like, how? How motherfucker? Like and then I made the decision. I said, okay, so we have two more days. I'm gonna make it like as magical as possible. I'm gonna be like not the perfect dad, but I'm gonna I'm not gonna fucking let it happen again. And then the next days, bro, I'm I kid you not like people are like, oh Palantir is down twelve percent like motherfucker, I just had the best two days with my kids, bro. It was all fucking clockwork. Nobody, like everybody's happy, took them out for ice cream, mornings, everything was fucking lickety split. I was like, he's like, oh, Tom, are you not concerned about, no, motherfucker. That's the thing that I'm obsessing about. That's where I'm at right now in my life. Uh, I couldn't give less fucks. Dude, I have a bunch of friends who are unbelievable high achievers, athletes, coaches, businessmen. And the thing that they struggle with is their ability to be a dad. It's Uh, tough. The so I'm not I'm not a dad at least not one that I know uh, and <laughs> and um but I can't I can't wait to be one but the test oh, it's man. the most it it's the most exhilarating feeling ever but when you fail at that occasionally it's soul crushing bro high stakes like and and sometimes they ask you the craziest shit like my six year old asked me uh, it's like how do how do a, a boy and a girl create a baby? <laughs> it's like, or my older one is like, why do we? How do we know that God isn't black? Or like, <laughs> like, like, they ask you the craziest shit. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, what? It's like they, they'll come out with some craziest. And my my four year old son, he has a photographic memory, bro. Don't forget jack shit. So he would come out. Hey, two weeks ago you promised me this and this and that. I've been waiting for two weeks. Where the fuck is this? And he's four, bro. And he doesn't forget if you tell him so. So, it's 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 a tough gig, bro. But when you hit it right, it's like hitting that homer. Like, it's like it's better than sex, bro. When you hit it right, when you have like a perfect day, it's the best feeling ever, bro. What do you need to work on then? 
if you were to look at your stats patience patience Dude, it's the yeah. that's the answer that every guy that i know gives yeah man when you lose it it's too late you can't bring it back you know what i mean because kids they don't grasp it as like oh i fucked up so dad is pissed off they're like oh dad is screaming at me angry dad you know what i mean you're the meme mm. they don't give a fuck they don't even remember what they did wrong it's like uh, i'm not comparing kids to dogs <laughs> by no means but if you have a dog like you don't he doesn't understand sometimes like why are you angry you know what i mean they just They'll do some, like, bro, I'll give you an example. Like the day that it all fell apart for me, it's like when they see you struggling, they'll push harder to try to break you. <laughs> <laughs> so we're on, bro, we're ready. Like everything is went to shit. We're at the door. My youngest is trying to get into the elevator himself, which is a fucking, it's a life-threatening situation. So I'm trying to get him. My oldest is in the house refusing to come out. And my my middle one is basically standing at the door and I'm asking, is this your jacket? I'm not sure. My wife usually knows. She says, no. And then my older one is screaming, yes, it's her jacket. It's like, is this yours? I said, no. I said, no, she's lying to you. And like the kid is trying to get in the elevator. It's like, what is going on? It's like, they're testing me, bro. And like, so I, I eventually, I was about, I took the jacket. It's like, I'm going to put this in the trash until you tell, or you tell me whose jacket this is. I was like, oh no, I just fucked up. When I said this, I was like, at this moment, you know, at this moment, he knew he fucked up. I was like, oh, fucking got me. Bro. And the the crying and everything. But the next two days, bro, I killed it. I fucking killed it out of the fucking park. Everything was pop. Bro, I even, like, the second day, I decided I'll, I'll, I'll order pizza for them, which they love. But I, f I fucked with them. I told them that everything we're having for dinner is just fucking vegetables. So they fucking filled up with a shitload of vegetables. And then I fucking... <laughs> I ordered the pizza after dropped that. Dropped pizza on them after that. I yeah, dropped when pizza they were on them. Good. Yeah. I was like, that's that's dad triple A, bro. It's like a homer, bro, when you do something well, you're, like that. You're impressed about the fact that you managed to outwit three tiny idiots. They're the, smarter they, than they their look, combined, Their combined age is less than half of yours, and you managed to outwit them, and you're somehow feeling satisfied about that. You know how, how savvy kids are with reading you? Like, for example, if you read them a book, they can feel if you're impatient, if you just want to get it out of there and, and leave. Like the bedtime story, they can feel everything. Their uh, emotional uh, quantity is far better than grown-ups give them credit for. They understand everything. They're very smart. All need, kids, not just men. You need a spreadsheet. You need a spreadsheet so that you can track them. Oh, man. It's, it's going to be the most complicated spreadsheet in humanity. Trust me, bro. You have it like it's gonna look like the the John Nash, you know, the scribblings on the wall and fucking the beautiful mind, bro. It's gonna be something of that level, catastrophic. That's yeah, where it needs man. to be, man. Yeah, I'm looking forward to you know whenever it whenever it finally happens. I really am excited about the prospect of becoming a dad. One thing that I think about a lot is the um, intensity of emotions that you're going to have. You know, it's the first time that yeah. you're going to touch something which is because of you, you know, a living thing which is because of you. And it doesn't surprise me that you see, you know, there's videos on the internet and they're funny or whatever of, of parents going like full helicopter parents, snowplow parent shit. But I kind of understand the compulsion of where that comes from, that you have this tiny creature that you've brought into the world 
and yeah. you're terrified of it being hurt or injured or, or upset or whatever. Uh, and your solution is to just knock everything in terms of challenges or discomfort out of their way. Uh, and yeah, I, you know, it's going to be the most intense emotions that I've ever felt in my entire life. And I don't know, I don't know how I'm going to deal with that. No, you'll do, you'll do, you'll be fine. And the more you have, the more you will find out that you had a lot of uh, secret unemployment before in your life. So you'll have one. It's like, oh, I had so much time before in my life. And then you have the second. It's like, oh, shit, when I had only one, I had so much. And then the more you add, the more you realize you had more freedoms. When you have three, bro, I don't know what it feels like to have more. But when you have three, it's like, oh, this is this is like video game leveling up. It never gets easier. You know, it, they just the problems get bigger. They get more crazier. It just, it's a guitar hero on fucking, you know, ultimate mode. It's like fucking, it's, a, it's crazy, bro. What are you doing next then? What are you working on either personally or on the channel or is it is dad mode and improving yourself as a dad? Is that one of the priorities? That's that's the only priority. But what I'm doing as far as content is actually uh, I'm doing a new show with Justin. Uh, we're doing a show called Money Talks. It's a daily show, half an hour every day, 5 p.m., where we go at each other's throat. It's very different from the podcast you were on. It's basically... I don't know if you watch sports at all, uh, but it's kind of uh, undisputed or first take, but for for stock market and financials. So we'll pick a few topics and we'll just basically, I'll destroy them. Simple. <laughs> I'll go out and destroy and then fucking kill him, bro. And uh, yeah, that's been a lot of fun. And uh, I just, you know, I don't have, like people ask me, Tom, what if this whole YouTube thing is gone tomorrow? I honestly don't care because I live so much below my means and I don't need really nothing. I haven't been splurging or spending at all, bro. Not because I'm cheap, because I don't need nothing, to be honest. I, I've been making a shit ton of money from YouTube. I live in the same apartment, drive the same car. I haven't bought any expensive jewelry. I literally done nothing with my money. Bro. Talk to and me about that. So I, I found this fascinating. Every time that I speak to finance guys, they seem to fall into one of two brackets. One of them is the earn high, spend high. And the other one is sort of earn appropriate, spend low. And that's the Morgan yeah. that's the Morgan Housel thing, that money is the ability to do what you want, when you want, with who you want, for as long as you want, and no one can tell you otherwise. But the only way that you can win at the game of finance is to stop moving the goalposts. Every time that you decide that you're going to make an amount mm -hmm. of money, and then once you've made that amount of money, you decide to either spend it or up your liabilities to the stage where you've now reset... That's you can't put the ball into the goal if the goal continues to move away from you every time that you get closer to it. It's the recipe to being unhappy, man. What you just described. It's literally the recipe. It's uh, there's a name for this. Spencer Coin. I told me this. He didn't invent it, but there's. I forgot the name. Not hedonic adaptation. Yes. Thank you. Oh. Yes. I feel like I just sneezed. Thank you. <laughs> so satisfying when that happened. Yes, Dude, so I was walking I was walking down the street the other day with my buddy in Austin and I was trying to remember this guy's name and then he caught on to who it was that we were trying to remember and we were walking to a smoothie bar and both of us were walking down the street like hitting our heads like shaking. Yeah, what the fuck is this? Yeah, someone driving past must have thought, "What the actual fuck are those two people doing?" Like having a, a psychotic episode as i'm walking down the street desperately <laughs> trying to remember this dude's name and then one of us got it and it was like someone had just won the lottery we're like fucking yes yes it's, yes it's, uh, it's cathartic when you when you have that moment so, so thank good. you for that yeah thank you you just gave me that good uh, look the thing is 
have you ever bought something that you never thought you would be able to afford? A house. Okay. Well, a house is a utilitarian thing, but even a house actually fits into this. Okay. Let's say that you buy a fucking $3 million mansion. Okay. For the first two weeks, you're going to be like, oh shit, the pool and the fucking gym and the fuck. Bro, week three, you don't even give a fuck anymore. It's just a house, bro. It just, it has zero uh, added value to your happiness. You had it for two weeks. And it's the same thing, bro. You can go all the way up to helicopters, fucking yacht. And it will always be the first two weeks you're going to be fucking jizzing over it and then you don't give a fuck anymore. It's just a thing. Okay. So there's no point in chasing fucking happiness through things. It sucks being broke. And I guarantee you that your relationship will suffer if you're fucking broke and you can't fucking provide for your family. But as long as you're not broke and you can provide for your family, everything else is fucking not necessary. Bro, I can, like, people ask me, Tom, why don't you fucking sell a course? I mean, uh, Kevin sells a course, a thousand bucks a pop, and he makes, like, what, two, three million a month? Bro, I don't even know how much you make. Like, I could do that probably, and probably I can do a good course, which people will like and not hate me for. But, like, why? I'd be basically chasing something I don't need and adding more responsibility on me. Like, I find it really enjoyable just to come online and fucking rant about shit and have zero accountability responsibility, bro. Do you not think that the information that you've got and the insights that you could give people would be able to help them make more money, make better financial decisions in okay. their life? Good question. And I'll tell you, yes, but still, it's it's very dangerous. You remember the backlash that Meet Kevin got when he no. sold in? So Meet Kevin, the guy who has like, what, 1.8 million subscribers in finance, and uh, he said, oh, I'm, uh, he sells a course, very expensive course. And he said, yeah, I, I'm not, there was a big dip and, and tech stocks were dropping. And he's like, yeah, I'm not selling, buy the dip, you weak paper hands, blah, 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 blah. Comes out the next day, I sold everything. So people were like, like, what the fuck, Kevin? I mean, so they come out and say, what, what the fuck is your course is, what's the value of the course? if?" You basically do things on the whim or on the hunch. Like it's complete. And it's like, no, no, no. There's a methodology behind it. It's like, yeah, in 20. So basically, I had him on my show and I told it to his face. I wouldn't have said this story if I didn't. I had it on my show and I interviewed him. I said, listen, Kevin, I mean, I mean, I don't think, I think it devalues significantly, of course. So I would be saying this behind his back. He knows I said this story. When I don't sell a course, I can do whatever the fuck I want, bro. I have zero responsibility and accountability to people. I don't want to have that on my back. Saying, "Oh, Tom, you taught me this skill, and for the past six months, and I'm going to be have to, I'm going to be uh, explaining. Well, look, the market is like it's like being an employee again. I have to explain myself why you're not doing that well, bro. I just make funny videos about finance and geopolitics, and some people love them, some people hate them, and I get paid just enough to have a comfortable lifestyle, bro. I don't drive a Ferrari. I don't drive a fucking Tesla." Very simple European car, very simple apartment. That's all I fucking need, bro. I don't need more. So I think that it, it, I understand the aversion to pressure, right? I understand the fact that you're going to become accountable to the people that buy the course for the outcomes they get from the course. You're going to feel this sense of obligation to stick to the principles that you've come up with as a part of the course. I understand all of that. Um, I do think <clears throat> the particular sort of audience that you've cultivated i think that they would be very understanding i think that you're quite open about the fact that you've got these failings and stuff and well, i had know, so man, much I, of them 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, very, very public fuck ups. I have uh, the worst shooting percentage in, the, in, like, I'm like Russell Westbrook from the three, bro. I can't make a three. <laughs> <laughs> the shittest financial advisor in history. Yeah, but I, here's the thing. Like, I, I think that, I, th- I think that there's an argument to be made that if you have an audience that will listen to you, that you know that you can add value to. Uh, I don't think that you should look at it as a purely sort of ruthless, capitalistic, taking advantage of my audience and stuff. And maybe, maybe the price that you have to pay for adding the maximum amount of value that you can to your audience is the accountability of the audience. Maybe that's a duty that you have to them. Maybe the fact that you're going to get people saying, well, Tom, I tried your course for this time and this thing didn't come off and blah, blah. Maybe if you have a if 60% of the people that do the course come out being better off, maybe the price that you have to pay is the fact that you're going to have to answer some un- uncomfortable messages. You know what? If I ever do it, if I ever do it, I'm going to offer lifetime refunds. That's for sure. Like, But then again, it doesn't really cover full, like, bro, if if, if I refund somebody and they sh- they lost a shit ton of money, it's not going to fucking help their feeling. You know what I mean? It, okay, whatever. Like, You are right. It's it, It's different uh creating a course about whatever how to invest or how to operate your finances it's like, what's the worst thing you can happen if you teach me how to fucking uh, game right i get a few notes precisely yeah like it's different to making a morning routine or a productivity or something yeah. like that yeah this is the fundamental currency that people run their lives with so i understand Bro, that. The, think I, about it this way chris how many people will even though you tell them you tell them hey like i say this in my videos all the time i said the only money that should be in the stock market is money you can afford to lose. Shouldn't be your rent money, kids' college money, none of that shit. Only play money. And still, people will fucking go YOLO into fucking AMC and GME, bro. And they're going to be like, hey, Tom, I did it. And it's like, motherfucker, bro. <laughs> so I had the guy, I won't forget this, bro. Crazy ass British guy who YOLO'd into GME. And Dude has such a cool guy. Made $1.4 million. He went on leverage, bro. He had no money to even invest in Jimmy. Wrote the whole thing up. And I fucking told him, sell, sell, sell. We had a private conversation. I said, look, sell this just fucking... His dad is working fucking uh, remote, like in a different country. He's like, just sell, man. Didn't sell, bro. The, he only took out enough money to buy a Mercedes, like a small, like a class A, some shit like this. And like, yeah, he stayed in and, you know, you know what happened. People won't listen to you and then they'll blame you for not listening to you. Or they'll listen to you and they'll blame you for listening to you. There's, it's like being a goalkeeper, bro, when you're still a course. It's really tough. Now, if you don't give a fuck and you say, well, I'm going to take my money and haters going to be hating, fine. I, I just... I have the the prerogative to say, hey, haters be hating if I don't sell nothing, bro. And people are like, oh, Tom, you have Patreon. Well, fuck off, motherfucker, with your fucking Patreon. Yeah, I have Patreon, bro. All my content is free. Suck my dick, bro. Fucking Patreon, bro. NFTs. Yeah. I've come up with it. That's what you need to do. I thought about it. It's so scammy. Chill now, the <laughs> shit out of yourself. It's such a fucking crazy... Bro, NFTs is what the internet was in the late 90s. Wild you know, in West. the late 90s, people thought that internet was just for porn. <laughs> people, people think that the blockchain is just for NFTs at the moment? Yeah, and they think that NFTs is just this little fucking, you know, monkeys or whatever the fuck that is. They don't understand the potential of the technology, bro. NFTs, when 
you know, they think it's just this little art projects. You haven't made it until Coffee's Hill has done a video on you. Once Coffee's done a video on you, that's that's when I know that Tom has fully fucking reached apogee yeah, in terms apogee. of how, where you're going to get to. He's killing it, bro. He's, he's on got fire. Him. Yeah. He's, I've fucking, so he's one of my favorite fucking... Him, you, Filion, Spencer. I, I could watch Barely Sociable... I, I could watch this shit all day. All day. You know who I watch and I enjoy his videos, even though you there's a guy, his name is Bald and Bankrupt. This is a guy who Bald basically and bankrupt. Bald and bankrupt. So he's he's kinda of, I mean he's my age, so he's old. So he just uh, he grabs a GoPro and he goes to these fucking crazy places. Like uh, lately, he's been geeking over Eastern Europe, just looking for like he'll go to some uh, post-Soviet village where he can find like a mosaic in the city square that's from the USSR. <laughs> he'll like get into people's houses and fucking drink illegal booze with them, like uh, in Russia, like crazy. Sh- like you have to. So like, is it is it vlogs? It's kind of like vlogs. Yes, but it's like, bro, I can't explain to you why it works. It's like. <laughs> When I, I say vlogs, you're like, Bleh. I yeah, say yeah, IRL, yeah. like, Bleh. IRL vlogs? Bleh. No, but his is actually, it's very good. I, I can't explain it. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's brilliant. Who else do you it's watch? Uh, I watch his stuff a lot. Um, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes I watch Drama Alert. <laughs> oh, yeah, fuck. Didn't you, tell me, didn't you tell me that they were getting involved in... This Russia, Russia shit. Yeah, they What's made a video there? called. They made a video called Russia cancelled. <laughs> 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 I love Keemstar. Um, he has such a nice way of serving you a burger when you just want a burger. You know what I mean? I love that. Uh, here's a burger. Uh, I watch a channel called Mustard. Nobody has heard of it. Mustard is an engineering channel, so he'll break down. Like create like it's for super geeks like uh, warships from World War Two and how they. Were I'm genius. a fan of I'm a fan of stuff like that. So it's called mustard M U S T A R D. He breaks down all trains, and what's what's brilliant about this channel the, the narration is per, is amazing, research is amazing. He makes the most beautiful 3D models of the old stuff he's talking about that don't exist anymore. He almost kind of brings them back to life. Like he did a whole video about the Buran. The Buran was supposed to be a Soviet uh, version of the uh, of of the space shuttle. It was never. It was never. Uh, it was almost finished. And so he brought it back to life. Or he he brings shit back to life that don't exist anymore. And it's it's just it's just so beautiful though. Uh, it's almost it's as pleasing visually as it is to hear about the stuff. Like he did a whole video about the Shinkansen. And how, like, the origins, the Japanese bullet train. And how it started out, how it was complete failure. and the, Like, crazy shit. Bro. Really good channel. You, you'd you love this channel. I'm telling you right it's, now. It's wild. Some of the ones that go and do this unbelievable deep dive are just insane. Like, Dagogo that does... Um, shit, I remember that. I forget the channel's name. Anyway, like, this Australian dude who does these unbelievable... Jake Tran, bro. Jake Tran does... Phenomenal. Documentary level videos three days a week. Just cons- I don't know how. 
Well, he's got. I, I, I think he's got a big editing team that's below him now. But still, like the research, his the production is mostly his. The recordings all his, and he was still putting that out when he first started. There's a there's yeah. a, this channel called Melody Sheep. Have you heard of that? No. Oh man, it is so many talented people. On it's, YouTube, so man. Melody Sheep's wild. They do one video about every two years, and they yeah, it's fucking crazy. So they did one called Life Beyond Earth which is a three-part documentary series. The entire thing is 3D rendered in um, computer-generated imagery, and it takes you through the different ways that life could evolve on other planets. Let's say that this planet has really dense air. Let's say that this planet is completely gaseous. Let's see what happens if we take away carbon-based life forms and we create silicon-based life forms where their metabolisms are so low that they could live for millions and millions of years and their thought cycles would be, you know, the, the... amount of time it takes a human uh, a, a star to live and die would be one thought from them because that's how slowly that they would exist melody sheep three-part series called life beyond earth wow outrageous it's so good the whole thing's soundscaped beautifully engineered gorgeous voiceovers and the visuals are, and the whole thing's in 4k they, they are, i remember seeing some how do they make money with so scarce content? i have no i think they might have a patreon or something but these guys, they, they have to be professionals. There's no way that you could produce something like this and not be wor- working for Netflix on the side or some shit. But then maybe yeah. not. Maybe they are just some bros. Look like, at James Johnny, bro. James Johnny makes Netflix-level documentaries. I'm not familiar with him. James Johnny? Oh, he's a really cool guy. He's a, He makes these unbelievable documentaries about uh, uh, money, marketing, uh, Similar to MLMs. Jake Tran? Like, kind of like Jake Tran? Yeah. Darkish kind of nice, yeah. Very good, very good creator. Yeah, and Uh, OKI as well. OKI's weird stories is fantastic. It's kind of like Jake Tran, but for bizarre darknet stories. Yeah, you, you. Oh, I think I've stumbled upon this. This is actually a very OKI at the beginning. This Japanese girl does it. Yeah, it's uh, it's awesome, man. There really is some like YouTube at the moment. If you get the right algorithm moving, my newsfeed on not not the Chris Williamson channel that all this stuff goes out on because that's just research and, and me doing all sorts of mad yeah. stuff, but on my personal one, it's just endless. Like all of the stuff that's on my suggested feed, I want to watch. The, say what you want about YouTube, dude. That algorithm suggests fire all the time. It's always good shit that I want to watch. I agree. I agree to that. Compare it to what YouTube used to be when it was just your subscription feed. The amount of trash you would uh, like. I can't believe I'm still subscribed to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure people say that about my channel. I'm, with, I'm sure. Yeah, is that guy still going? That Russian guy? Surely not. Russian guy. Uh, he's dead. Chris, uh, I w- before you you let me go to sleep because uh, I told you I'm not in my hundred percent. I want to ask your opinion about something. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of a student of the game, not that kind of game. But do you think there is a way, psychologically speaking, because you don't know the guy, that uh, Putin actually can not uh, demolish everything around him and just go back home and said, well, this was not a good idea. I fear that his ego would not allow him to do it anymore. I think based on what very little I know about the man, I would say... That seems incredibly unlikely. Yeah. Uh, it's a huge embarrassment on the world stage. It would involve everybody 
mocking Russia as a global power for a, a very, very long time, it would mean that everybody else would feel like maybe he called our bluff, but he wasn't actually holding the cards in his hand that he said he was. So he's going to start to be bullied. I mean, the sanctions that he gets long-term, let's say that he does decide to turn around and go back to Russia. Okay, so you've suffered. The Russian people have got all of these problems. The ruble's gone through the floor. You can't use SWIFT. You've spent all of this money. You've lost all of these soldiers. You've lost all of this military hardware. And for what? You know, so there's a um, a gambler's fallacy thing here yeah. uh that's that's going on a little bit uh there's a, a sunk cost fallacy that's going on there's the fact that there's the ego there's the fact that the russian people at least for the most part are behind him again there's another problem that you have here that the when the state media is pushing the narrative that you want to hear the russian people in no way are going to be prepared for you to then renege on what you were doing because they've never heard another side of the story there's yeah. no I'm, I'm sure that the Russian media is showing absolutely zero potential that Russia can even lose this. Look at how well we're doing. Look at the, the progress that we're making on all fronts and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So no one's prepared for it. It would be an embarrassment domestically and internationally. In terms of his ego, I don't think it would take... I, I, I don't think that... I think he get the only way that that would happen, that he would turn around and go home, is if he's losing so much men or financially it becomes untenable to continue moving forward to the point where, but that's not even going to be a, a retreat. That's just going to fizzle out very, very slowly and then yeah. just die a death. If you're right, it means very bad things for Ukraine because it means that he will have to turn up the heat. You mean in terms of military hardware, like bigger bombs? Bigger bombs, Less uh, strategic bombing, more kind of just basically indiscriminate. Yeah, this is going to be horrific if this happens. What do you think? What's your prediction? Look, I honestly don't know, but uh, I feel like if they give him 60% of what he wants, they might get a deal done. What chop so chop Ukraine in half? No, well. He has to accept current government stays and the, the West will have to accept no NATO ever for Ukraine and the bits he already chopped off he gets to keep. They, this deal can be probably worked out but I feel like uh, if you're Putin you don't take this deal and, unless you think you're going to lose and I don't know if he, if he thinks that he's going to lose. Because these dictators, they tend to be detached. You know what I mean, Chris? Are these peace talks just bollocks then? Because I'm hearing that there's peace talks proposed for this day and this day and this day. Yeah. And apparently the last time they had peace talks last week, Putin just used that as an opportunity to rotate his troops. Yeah. Everybody's saying that it's garbage. It's just uh, garbage time. I don't know. But I think if they... If, uh, if a deal can be made, it probably is within those boundaries of what I said. Because everything else is going to be undoable for, for for either party. Let's pray they can find a way to get a deal done. Because if they can't... Look, can you imagine like people who were like kids going to school just a week ago and fucking... Imagine bombs fucking falling in your neighborhood, bro. Just in, even if nothing happens to you, what it does to your psyche, bro. They're post-trauma. Just to, even without casualty, this is horrific, bro. 
I pray that it ends. I don't want more at all. And there's people that were milkman last week. You know, your local postman and milkman are now holding AK-47, stood side by side with Alexander Usig, trying to yeah. stop an invading force. It's wild. It's absolutely wild. And I think, you know, the the one one of the few positives that I think that you can draw from it is that it <coughs> reminded everybody there was a presumption, I think, especially amongst young people, millennials, that because we haven't seen any conflict in our lifetime, that we we kind of were in post history. We'd got past the potential for war. Oh, look, we've managed to create peace through uh, a combination of deterrence and um, like nice agreements uh, and superpowers and super pacts that grow bind countries together. Yeah. And it's reminded everybody that you can have boots on the ground and guns in hands. And um, yeah, maybe it's given a wake-up call to a lot of people that thought it was all sweetness. And the same way as COVID, dude, you know? I think things have been always fucked up. It's just now it's happening in Europe. And it's people like, oh, Feels shit. close to home. It's been happening like for, for, for the last 30, 40 years. Syria, you just don't Afghanistan, see it because it's, Iraq, yeah, it's Iran. Some, it's somewhere else. So you're like, oh, yeah, whatever. Like, don't, like Now it's happening next to their doorstep and now it's fucking scary so i feel i feel like uh we should pray that this shit doesn't get out of hand because we're one spit away from some horrific shit bro this is like 2022 can you believe it bro here was something that i was talking about yesterday that there's kind of people are happy to talk about mental health and and say you know it's okay to not be okay reach out and talk to a friend if you're depressed stuff like that but it's supposed to be there's still an element that that's supposed to be for serious stuff you know my parents have just died or i've become homeless or i've lost my job or i've done whatever the last think about the last three years ish of experience for most people on the planet it's been this just constant ambient anxiety concern about a virus uncertainty about the future working from home lack of social contact no time with parents no time with friends no time outdoors getting more unhealthy eating shit food spending time in the house being bombarded by news media lack of information that we can trust lack of news organizations that we can trust lack of politicians that are telling the truth complete loss of confidence in all of that stuff and then the icing on the top of the cake is yep a war correct on top of it yep insane bro I've never thought about it this way, but now that you say it, I'm literally like, oh, shit. But the thing to think, dude, you know, and for anybody that's got through the last couple of years with their sanity even remotely intact can be pretty pretty proud of themselves. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, it's and that's the thing, because it's not it's not there's no glory attached to it. There's no prestige. You don't get a blue tick on Twitter for doing this. You don't get any money in your bank account for having done this. But if you've been somebody that's been there when one of your friends has rang you and said, man, I feel I feel pretty shitty today. I don't really know what's going to happen with my job or my girlfriend or my house or my investments or whatever. If you've been the person that's been there, or even if you've just been the person that's been the one ringing and you've managed to make it through on the other side, I think that's something that you should clap yourself on the back for. I feel a, a blue ticker, all the verification tickers, if you're married, they're meaningless. It's a... <laughs> <laughs>
I don't care, bro. If I was single, I would definitely want one, bro. I get you. Look, Tom, let's bring this home, man. I really appreciate you. I appreciate the work that you do. Uh, tell everyone where they should go if they want to keep up to date with the stuff that you put out. Well, you can find me on Twitter at I am Tom Nash. Uh, my channel is Tom Nash, uh, youtube.com slash Tom Nash TV. You can also see me daily on a channel called Sense Invest, S-E-N-T-S invest we have a daily show called money talks with me and justin which you've met uh i think that show is going to be brilliant we're on episode 15 and it's going to be epic and other than that uh, don't look for me anywhere else because i don't want to be found <laughs> and i'm very intentional about it thank you very much for tuning in i hope that tom gave you a great russian insight into how not to go completely bankrupt over the next couple of months. And if you dump all of your money into some stock and lose it, then it's it's definitely not our fault. Don't forget that you can get 10% off any order by going to magbreakthrough.com slash modernwisdom to get the most comprehensive magnesium product there is. You can also get 20% off everything from Pure Sports CBD by going to bit.ly slash cbdwisdom. And you can get a free V60 brewing kit and 40 free filters with any packed coffee plan by going to packedcoffee.com and the code modernwisdom at checkout. I'll see you next time.